This is the Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And speaking of Central Works, we have a longtime resident. I mean, I talk about Gary Graves and Jan Zleifler, but Greg, you are, I don't know if you're a founding member, but you have been, uh, you know, uh, right along with Central Works almost from the very beginning. We have Greg Sharpen on as our uh, guest. How are you, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm really, really glad to be here. <laughs> and you've got your Central Works uh, shirt on. You got, got my Central Works hoodie. I didn't know there was a Central Works shirt. I want one. Merch. There, Merch. There's, I want... there's only three of them, I think. I don't think they were ever really sort of widely disseminated. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, Greg, you are, you're basically the resident... Um, I would say the technical director. Technical director. I, I would, yes. say, you know, obviously you, you're an audio wizard, but you run lights, you run sounds, you pretty much run everything uh, once the show is in the air, right? Um, for the most part, yes. Um, I would, I would say I'm not the technical director. I would, I would fob that job off onto Gary Graves, um, but I okay. do run everything, um, and I am the resident sound designer for Central Works. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk but about if things, if, if things break down, Gary's the one that has to go in and fix them. So oh, I, okay. I, I let him fix the light board and all of that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to remember when we did Mesmeric Revelation, he was the one who designed the the, I guess, the lighting schemes and all of that sort yes, of stuff. Right. But he let the sound to you. And um, I mean, when we talk about sound designers, we're not just talking about just throwing in a couple of sound cues and pulling stuff, pulling, you know, MP3 right, off the web. We're talking about just really intricately. I mean, I, I remember writing down on my little blurb here that you, the sounds designs are much a character of Central Works plays as the characters themselves. That's how I describe yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think that's really, really accurate um, to give praise to you. Um, you. <laughs> as I begin our po every podcast, uh, Norman, how was your week? Lots of work, lots of craziness. Uh, my uh, Eugene O'Neill workshop is we're starting to get some momentum up, and we have a new guy who is our um, education director, I believe is his title. He's the new guy. So it's like, uh, I'm are we okay? We've got four people signed up right now, and I'm like, well, as of today, that was yesterday, as of today, we have six, and there's a bunch of stuff that just went out. So teachers will either talk about it. Either they talked about it Friday or they'll talk about it Monday. And that's usually what happens. In the last two weeks before we do this workshop, bam, that all happens. But I've also had a couple of, I'm doing a new sculpting gig. I'll be doing all spring. Um, that is That is exciting and fun. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I started here on Zoom. I've been live for the last couple of days, and now I'm going to go back and forth. One day, uh, Wednesday nights here, Saturday mornings there. Um, it's going to be a trip. And then, on top of that, another sculptor got in touch with me, and I went to model for her. So I just played Achilles and Achilles' mama. I don't know who Achilles' mama is, but she had this sculpture already started with this arm. And it was like a pencil. So she said, could you just do the arm? So I did Achilles' mother's arm and Achilles. 
And I'm like, okay, I, this is the crazy life I live. Every time I think of Achilles, I think of Brad Pitt because I think he was in that movie, um, Troy, I think, where he played Achilles. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. that would make sense. <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah, it sounds like you had a very eventful um, uh, week. Oh, and Homestead, Dexter went to visit his daddy for a month. Oh, there you go. Oh, my God. It's you. We, we, it's you and Mara. Hey, we three days of dishes. I knocked out three days of dishes last night. It was less dishes than we normally have every day. I was like, wow. Oh, I keep on forgetting having a teenager means, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, a teenager who now cooks. Oh, there but you go. But he cooks like he's a chef. You know, if you go to a restaurant, chefs don't wash dishes. There's a staff that washes dishes. Oh, He's yeah. now filling up these pots with crap. Leaving it out overnight, so you wake up the next day and there's this stuff just caked. Oh goodness, Greg. Uh, right now. Yeah. Now I was just going to ask Greg, how are you handling life in COVID? And have you got? Have you at least gotten one shot yet? One vaccine uh, shot? I have not gotten any shots so far. Um, He's not old enough. I'm. I'm guessing probably. Um, I don't know. Maybe June is when I might get my first shot. I'm guessing. Oh. Maybe. I'm hoping sooner than that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, they say May is when they'll have enough for everybody, but then it has right. to be disseminated out into the world. So um, yeah, but yeah. it sounds like you're not worried. You've been staying healthy and wealth healthy and and all that stuff. And yeah. staying away from people. <laughs> I, I I've uh, I've been nocturnal actually for most of the pandemic. Oh um, really? I've I've completely switched around. Um, so I've been. Uh, it's very easy to avoid people when the you're awake at, you know, one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. Um, These days, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're a social person. I mean, do you miss talking or interacting with people? I do. I do. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I will have phone calls with people. Um, I still am in contact um, via email. I mean, I miss, the things that I miss the most are the, are the, you know, congregating in theaters and cinemas and all of that. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not um, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but I also am somebody who, um, as a as a sound designer and as a film editor, which is my day job, if you want to call it a day job, I'm used to being um, sequestered in my own little sphere and just kind of hunkered and making things. So um, I'm actually used to being on my own for significant amounts of time. No, so I, I guess the uh, yeah the COVID is has worked uh, well for you, but it sounds like, you know, uh, things are, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing news that uh, California will be opening up very, very soon. Like, you know, schools will be open and I got an uh, email from major league baseball saying, Oh, you know, giant state, you know, you can actually oh, yeah, buy they're tickets. Planning on opening. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but you know, I'm trusting that people know what they're doing. Um, there, there've been a couple of uh, news things, uh, Johnson and Johnson. So there's controversy that, there's some good vaccines. There's some bad vaccines. Uh, there's, you know, Detroit. Well, there's, there's stuff that got out quicker with big numbers. And then Johnson and Johnson is a little behind the curve. Right. Exactly. And, um, and uh, I think Detroit's mayor said that he doesn't want he, he rejected the uh, right. the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. There's also a race element saying that maybe that uh, they're trying to push it on to black people or poorer people because yeah. it's only one shot and it'll work okay. But, you know, people right. are hesitant. So I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I just have trust that, you know, if no one's going to put a drug out there that isn't going to work. So, uh, so there's that. Yeah. 
There's the con- there's the controversy of Andrew Cuomo. You know, uh, it's it's fascinating. You know, earlier during this earlier during 2020, he was the hero because he was the one, not Trump, to be out in front and to talk about what's happening in New York and getting the numbers down or whatever. And now, I mean, and now it turns out he's Trump after all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just right yeah. down the line. <laughs> yeah, three, he is. Three women so far, and um, you know, I. I, you know, I was like, wow, you know, he's a hero, but hey, you know, if you're, when you're wrong, you're wrong. So it, it is what it is. Yeah. So well, he got busted. He, he's, but he's got to hang in there. He's saying he apologizes because apparently the way he is um, miscommunicated to some people. That's his, that's his story. It's sort of the, I'm sorry you took it that way apology. It yeah. is. That's exactly what it is. It's it's that that if I'm sorry if you feel this way or that way, but I'm, I'm right. I, I think more and more. I mean, I, I, maybe we're weeding out all of the older generation men who are like, well, I always do this, and okay, well, I guess it's new generation. They, they're offended, so I guess I better apologize. It's got to be a time where this old generation fades out, and you just become woke, and you just think before you act, especially if you're in a position of power. I mean, well, but I think with our current president, you're going to be able to hide behind his one. Oh, gosh, no, I'm sorry. I'm just a touchy-feely guy. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Yeah. And one question they asked uh, Cuomo was like, did you take any implicit bias training? And he was like, yes, I did. Next question. And it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it didn't take. Uh, Well, okay, so we have CPAC. We have Vernon Jordan, who passed away. Dr. Seuss. Do we have any feelings about Dr. Seuss and uh, I guess the books that are being put on the I'm a Dr. Seuss fan, and those books were already the books they're talking about were already kind of back shelf. Um, yeah, and they did this before. Now it just came to light. Please. Oh, I didn't. I'm sorry, Greg. Greg, are you a Dr. Seuss fan? I love Dr. Seuss. Um, I grew Me up too. with Dr. Seuss. I mean, I think the, um, the sort of surrealist quality of Dr. Seuss is uh, s- uh, probably shaped my rather peculiar view of the world, certainly. Um, but again, uh, I didn't know that this was, this was in the past and how it just been revealed. But it's also, this is the Dr. Seuss estate yeah. doing something. Right. So, the government didn't do this. Yeah. They did it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. It's, you know, it's not, it's, you know, they're basically canceling themselves and they recognize. And, you know, this, this also falls with Disney and there were a lot of other cartoons or whatever that were just really racially insensitive, you know. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. And yeah, people are, are upset. You know, now cancel culture, according to the Republicans or those who are conservative, are like, oh, cancel culture will just destroy everything. But it's just sensitivity. It's just, listen, if you offend people, it's wrong. And so. Just uh, just recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. So and plus, we still have the cat in the hat. We still have uh, the Grinch. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Green eggs and ham. Horton, here's a who. You know, we still have Bartholomew Cubbins. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we still have plenty. Bartholomew and Joe Black. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All righty. And that's all that I have. And with that, let's uh, introduce Greg Sharpen. Greg, uh, how did you? And you're not just involved in theater, but you're involved in music. I mean, you know, you have an incredibly creative mind. It is not often that we get uh, a technical wizard on. Um, so why don't we start from the beginning? Tell us an origin story. How did you, did you grow up in the Bay? Where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in Stanford Hospital. So um, I'm one of the few 
Bay Area natives that I know. Most people I know in the Bay Area uh, came from you know Ohio or Southern California. But right, uh, I uh, born in Stanford Hospital, grew up in Cupertino, which is in the South Bay. Um, I'm so used. To, I, I, growing up in Cupertino, I was used to having to tell people where Cupertino was, but I guess that's not really the case anymore. Yeah, I was just going. <laughs> I, I was just going to say my screen went dark. I was just going to say, well, you must have grown up during the uh, the whole Silicon Valley thing. You sort of see it, yep. saw it happen, you know, in your very in front of your very eyes. It was uh, we would uh, Cupertino had just stopped being full of orchards and was just starting to be the home of Apple computers when I was in elementary school. So, um, uh, yeah, um, there were still sort of the, the, the faint vestiges of the, uh, of the old orchards that were all over the South Bay were just disappearing when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, did you have siblings? I have one brother. Cool. Who, uh, who is still living down in, down in the South Bay. He lives in San Jose with a, with a family. Yeah. When did you first get involved in uh, theater or uh, did, were you involved in music first and theater second or, or, you know, how, how did that, how did you get in the arts? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, I was involved in theater even back in elementary school. Um, I was, I was actually the sound designer in elementary school. Uh, I sort of like had to think uh, after I'd been a sound designer for a while, I kind of retroactively realized I'd been doing it for quite a while. Um, but I was, uh, in the backstage of a third grade play with the little tape recorder, unpausing and repausing, uh, a cassette deck to do all of the sound effects. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> did you, did you pick the sounds or did they just tell you what to do? I mean, I, I picked the sounds. Um, I remember, I can't. I can't even really, really remember how I got around to, to doing it or where I got the sounds from. And they were just, you know, like the sound of a phone ringing. I mean, there was very, very basic rudimentary things. Um, so, and I think there might've been like a whopping total of like five sound cues. Wow. Um, I, I don't I don't know about you, Greg, but I remember growing up, I think you and I are around the same age, uh, maybe, I mean, I'm 51, but um, I remember in the 80s or the late 70s, 80s, cassette recorders were a relatively new thing, especially the smaller ones. Yeah, the, the ones that are like the size of a, a, of a hardcover book. Right, 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 exactly. I remember my dad and I, we would have to go to Chinatown because they were the ones that had the, you know, the, the fancy electronics. I'm, I'm not even sure if there was a Radio Shack or a Circuit City at the time. Um, so did, I mean, did your parents sort of help you? I mean, did you, was it just something that you just naturally, that naturally came to you? Or, um, I don't know, did you glean it from your, your parents? You know, just... I, I honestly can't remember um, the details of it. I know we had a cassette recorder at home because I remember, um, I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine the other week about this, um, uh, talking about like recordings of ourselves at a very young age. And I remember... Um, having a cassette deck and acting out, uh, we had a book of Peanuts cartoons, and I remember acting out all of the um, all of the the dialogue from from this book of Peanuts. I was maybe like three or four at the time, um, and that I have no idea what happened to that cassette, but I know I had my little cassette deck and I recorded like an entire side of a tape going through that Peanuts book. 
Yeah, I remember doing something similar. I had a little tape deck and me and a good friend of mine, a childhood friend, Kenny Hernandez, we would do these like Saturday Night Live skits or whatever, you know, just horsing around, just saying, what what could we do with a recorder? And my dad had a reel to reel. Um, he was mm-hmm. he was a um, he was a music guy, but I, I was forbidden to touch that. You know, that was <laughs> that thing dropped. Forget about it. Um, right. So did you, I mean, were you, because I know, now you have a music group. I mean, what, what group are you involved in? Uh, let the folks know. Um, it's a project called Thomas Karnacki, um, which started off as being a, primarily a solo project that would be bringing other people in on occasion. And we're now around five or six people, depending. Um, we have the sort of a core group of people who um, kind of rotate in and out of recordings and performances. Um, we haven't been doing any performances lately. Uh, this last year is the first year in, I think, 11 years that we haven't done any shows. Um, I, I think there are a few folks that are in that boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you gave me a CD, um, you know, when we did Mesmeric Revelation. Would you consider the music, is it uh, sort of, because uh, it's not, it's not just standard music. I mean, it's not, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, um, I would describe it as abstract sounds, but that probably is just me. I mean, what, what would you describe the music of Thomas Karnacki? Ooh, um, that's a very good question. Um, experimental? I mean, it, it's, in, it's in, I mean, if you go to Amoeba, it's in the unusually experimental section. Yeah. So um, there's uh, my um, step nephew, I think, had a term that he used for music like that. Um, Cause my brother and I uh, have very similar musical tastes. And so my brother was playing, it wasn't a Karnacki CD, but it was a CD by a group called Nurse With Wound, which is kind of in similar, uh, a similar realm, similar kinds of music. And uh, my step nephew called it the CD without the music. <laughs> but I mean, it does define, I remember, I, I remember being in college and I was in a music class and they played us, it was either Satie or it was um, Strindberg and um, Stravinsky, I'm sorry. And he really challenged us. He was like, wow, this is not music because it was all dissonance and tritones and uh, just, just, it just seems abstract sounds. Stravinsky and- or Stockhausen? Maybe it may have been Schockhausen. It may have also been Satie. Um, hmm. But in any case, um, but he, you know, he, he basically was challenging us as students. He was like saying, listen, you know, I know that you like listening to your rock and roll and soul and R&B or whatever, but this is also music and really just changing, you know, how we define, you know, what music is and what art is. You know, art is not as structured as as we usually get it on TV or whatever. And I think, you know, your music, Thomas Karnacki, and also just art of that style. I mean, there are different styles and, and it can be as abstract and as flexible as, as your mind can, can make it. Well, there's, a, there's actually a long tradition of that kind of music, um, structured or unstructured. Um, it's, uh, um, I mean, if, and the Bay Area actually is kind of a hotbed of that. If you go back to the 60s, there was a lot of very unusual sonic experiments going on here. Um, so there's a, a good long tradition of um, less popular types of music and the idea of sound sculpture and of experimentation with sound. Um, so there's, um, it's, 
perhaps kind of in the margins of, or the periphery of most people's awareness, uh, but there is a large body of work um, that can, that will open up to you if you sort of look under the right rock, as it were. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and I can definitely see how you can translate that type of music or um, into um, sound design when you get into theater, because uh, I remember, you know, working, I, you know, I was long, for a long time, I was with EastEnders before it folded, and Susan Evans would have me do sound design, and, you know, we would play, play around with things. Let's say, you know, we have a character who's in a dream, and we want to um, articulate what's happening in the dream. I remember we were doing Oh, I forget the poster is, yeah, Knight's, uh, A Night's Escape. Basically, uh, an individual is dreaming. They're in a uh, soft sleep and they hear a helicopter, but in their dream, they're in like Vietnam and there are explosions or whatever. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and Susan would say, well, give me a sound design that just focuses on that. And I would have to really just open up my mind and say, okay, I've got to I've got to figure it out. And that's basically what you do for, for Central Works. Is that oh, right? to say the least. Good God. I, because the shows have such a range, Gregory comes up with, I don't know. I can't even begin to describe it. It's part of the set. It creates a mood. It creates a scene. It, it's yeah. incredible. And I love that you sit in the corner <laughs> behind a little screen if people know you're there, they know it, but a lot of the audience doesn't seem to, and I, it's always a crack up to notice when people finally realize there's somebody sitting over there. Yeah. But, but talk to us about your creative process. I mean, like, you know, working with you when we did a Mesmeric Revelation, you had to create, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, Mesmeric Revelation was a, I think it was a uh, story in the colonial times of uh, Mesmer and basically his uh, experimentation with um, his uh, thoughts of, I don't know, um, creating things with the mind and um, all, you know, you call it quack experimentation, but you had to create a sound design based on that. I mean, how, talk, talk to us about your, your creative process. Where do you begin? I guess you begin with the script. I begin with the script. Um, be, before I get into that, I just wanted to mention just talking about the Bay Area as being a sort of a hotbed of this kind of work. Um, that I'm not the only sound designer out there who has sort of extra musical stuff on the side. Um, I, I was thinking about this as I was walking over here as well, that um, there's people like Cliff Carruthers, who if you go to any of the San Francisco tape music festivals, um, you'll find Cliff Carruthers pieces in there. And there's people like Jake Rodriguez who has a project called Brand Pause. Um, so there's a number of Bay Area sound designers who um, both do theatrical work but then also have just purely a purely musical bent. Um, and I think there's a nice overlap between the inherent drama of just a musical piece and having sort of a narrative flair for making a musical piece and then applying that to an actual narrative piece of theater, um, which, I think, uh, which I think ties into the way I approach both music and also theatrical sound design, where uh, I look at a script in terms of kind of movements in a way. Um, so if I get a script, I'll go through a first pass and kind of make notes as to where I hear beats happening or where I hear 
uh, certain passages, certain sonic passages, um, and then uh, perhaps you know halfway through rehearsal, I'll come through and see a, a run through of where it is right then, and I'll mix around two thirds of what I'd written down on my script, and then add in another like you know seven thirds onto what I'd already thought about. Um, and so I just sort of like plot out where I'm hearing things and, um, and it really is just me hearing things in my head. Um, it's, it, it's hard to explain it more than that. Um, I also am sort of a, a, a huge fan of all different kinds of music, all different genres of music. So I have a large back catalog of music in my head that will, um, you know, a certain piece of music will raise its hand when I'm reading the script and say, me, me, I'm here for this one right here. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, whether I'm hearing something that I'm going to have to create myself or whether I'm hearing a piece of music that already exists, um, it's just sort of reading a script and leaving yourself open to what the, what the, what the play is telling you. Yeah, and also we've talked about, um, we've had Gary Graves on and also Jan's Lifer, and they talked about how Central Works puts together their plays. It, it's not just a script comes in and then, you know, you work on, there's a read through, but basically the script is written as the rehearsal process goes on and the script sort of takes shape. I imagine, um, are you a part of that process? I mean, yes. are you, are yes. you sort of, con yeah, okay, so basically you're, you're piecing together in your mind what you know musically you can do or what you know audio art audio uh, what's what's the what's the name of the word um audio wise basically sound wise mm -hmm. what you can do as the script grows and um is that is, you know is that collaboration that's part of the process too right well central works is a really special case uh, because i've been with central works for so long and um my mind and gary's mind in particular tend to run along the same lines and he knows what I can do. Um, I think he, in a certain sense, writes some scripts with me in mind uh, or writes most scripts with me in mind. He'll write a, um, you know, there'll be, set, there'll be stage directions in some of the plays that just says a weird sound. <laughs> yeah. and, and he knows that, okay, I'll just hand this off to Greg or, you know, he'll write, there was uh, one scene in, I think it was the Weird Sisters where he wrote, there was a one point where, which was a, a, um, a re, a new take on the idea of the three the Scottish sisters, play, yeah. the Scottish play. Um, and there was one sort of winding up of a spell sound that happens and he just listed off a whole, his host of, you know, um, various things, including like, you know, a duck quacks and, you know, all this like weird sounds happening, swirling around. Um, and I don't think he was actually expecting me to put a duck quack into that particular um, sound, um, yeah. but, but I couldn't not put a duck quack into that. And uh, we uh, have used that duck quack in a number of different shows. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, one of the ones that I did with Norman um, in oh, yeah? Inspector General, there's the duck quack in the alarm system uh, <laughs> that happened at the end of Inspector General. Um, there's the duck in there, so. So um, you're, not, you're not just recycling um, furniture, but you're also recycling <laughs> sounds. <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, so CentralWorks, I'm definitely involved in all of the, the development process. I was, I've been in, CentralWorks 
started doing this kind of joint stock style uh, development work in 1997, I want to say. Um, And I wasn't involved in the workshop for the very, very first show that they did that way, but I've been involved with everyone since then um, in in terms of the actual workshop process. Um, So uh, I definitely have, have input into uh, what the shows are like, and I certainly uh, my my thoughts on where the soundscape might go are are both fed by that workshop process, and also uh, I get to sort of contribute to um, the sonicscape at the, at the script level, at the foundational level. Yeah, very much. I don't. I I wonder how much the uh, ensemble is aware of that before you actually start getting on your feet. Um, how much the ensemble is aware of the soundscape because I really feel like that's more of a space kind of thing and it feels like that comes in later it does come in later yeah it sounds like and I was just going to say I remember when we did Mesmeric we didn't really hear the sound until actual tech and then you know the actors and I know it fed the actors they you know they were like wow you know now because it it really boosts the uh, the performance but uh, it's not like we're I don't think we're working with the sound during the rehearsal process now that may change I mean do you do you get to work with the actors while the rehearsal's going or do you, does that really wait until uh, I think tech- we played with some stuff during Lottomania. A little bit. I mean, it, it mostly it happens towards the end of the process because it takes a while for me to actually sort of cook up the entire um, the entire uh, score for it. Um, yeah. And also, um, you know, the script is still in flux uh, because Centaurus does all new work. Uh, there's, you know, the, the script has to solidify before I can really start engaging with the design process. There are certain points where if there's like, a particular movement piece that needs to happen to a particular sound or to a particular piece of music. I'll bring things in for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, for Mesmeric Revelation, that was a play, a play written by Aaron Henney, who is based down in Southern California. Yeah, he's um, brilliant, and, brilliant. And, Go ahead. And that was the second show that we did with Aaron. Um, and the two actors in Mesmeric Revelation, Joe Jordan and Theo Black, had worked on the previous show that we did with Aaron. Okay. Uh, which was even even more of a big sound piece. Uh, I think um, the first piece that we did with Aaron was called A Man's Home, which is a version of Kafka's The Castle. Uh-huh. Um, and so they knew the kind of stuff I did. So I think they weren't, um, they had a sense of what it would be like. Um, and I think any returning actor for Central Works knows the kind of stuff I do. Right. So they'll be aware of um, the kind of sonic bombardment that they're going to have. Um, but for, is there for, a moment when you find that uh, the cast is kind of becoming aware of your contribution? Is that it, something you get to, to kind of clock? It, it, it varies. I mean, I think it's usually sort of like in the Q to Q process, kind of like the end of the first or second day of Q to Q, people come up to me and go, I had no idea. Um, I mean, there were points, I mean, but of course, Gary, who directs a lot of the shows, knows what's coming. And so he'll direct with that in mind. Right. And I think a lot of actors will be in the middle of doing something thinking, why am I doing this? This feels off somehow. Uh-huh. And then when the sonic score slots in, they'll go, 
oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand what's going on. Um, but I think it's the same way with any kind of design element where an actor has to kind of imagine what a costume will be. And then once there's actually the, the, the physical awareness of the costume and the way it makes a character interact or move, Mm-hmm. things that were in rehearsal that have been set in rehearsal suddenly start to make sense right. after that design element or if you suddenly realize oh there's the pool of light here and here I'm not in a big illuminated space I'm down here in this one isolated spot that makes a significant difference and until you're physically engaging with those design elements I can imagine it feels a little bit weird and kind of strange and unsupported in a way well especially in that small space I mean I th- it's easy for people not to realize how possible it is. A human being only takes up so much space. I think it's easy for actors to get the concept of a show in their head and not realize that ultimately a human being only takes up so much space and you can make that space, you can change reality within that space, but it's only when you're in that moment. And You know, you, you have definitely been an element in making the use of that little room just pop and and turn, you know, and become everything, become outdoors, become mansions, become roads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally second second that. And also, you know, let's say some of the abstract sounds, I mean, like, you know, representing a dream, representing, you know, um, you know, going from one space to another. Um, you really have to have a flexible mind to do that. And, I, I, you know, I know the actors really feed on that. One question I was going to ask you, or did you receive any training at all? Um, with, did you have any training in sound design? Nope. Auto direct. <laughs> wow. Well, you could certainly teach. I mean, you could. Uh, now, I was going to ask you, are you a teacher as well? Have you um, ever been taught? I no is the is the short answer to that. <laughs> I guess it's the long answer to that too. I'm sure you've um, had, I'm sure you've had some proteges or or someone who's been under your wing. Um, I have. Uh, I mean, there have been a couple of times when uh, I've done some shows with um, UC Berkeley, for instance, where um, you know, working with the the operator of those shows, I've certainly kind of kind of been a mentor of a sort. I mean, at the kind of very, very base informal level of that, just kind of talking about, um, you know, sound design philosophies or, you know, how how you work to be a sound designer. But, um, but yeah, no, I haven't actually done any sort of formal workshops or classes or anything like that. Well, yeah, well, you most definitely could. You certainly could. I was going to ask you, so I was looking online and uh, you've done some work with KALX. Yes. There's a thing called film close-ups. Well, Are you well, still yeah. doing that? Sorry, what was that, Norman? No, I'm just saying, yes, you have definitely been <laughs> a feature no. on KALX. Yeah, film close-ups. What's, what's that all about? You've been doing that since 95. Well, I don't know if you're still doing it. I am. Um, I did a, a version of it last week, uh, although we've uh, um, had to – we're doing all remote recordings these days, oh, wow. which is very, very weird. Um, but – um, yeah, Calyx is, I've been doing Calyx longer than I've been doing sound design, um, right. in a way, um, just around a year before I started doing sound design, I think, I think 96 was my first Central Works show, uh-huh. um, or sort of professionally doing sound design. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, Film Close-Ups is an hour-long program that happens every Saturday from 5.30 to 6.30, 
Um, and it's an interview show mostly. Um, mm. And so it's, um, you know, I get to go and talk with actors who are coming through town, directors who are coming through town. Um, you know, get to interview David Cronenberg or Timothy Spall or Tim Roth wow. or Steve Buscemi or whoever's coming through. So, um, so yeah, I do, I do film close-ups. I do a program called Arts and Review, which is a theater and visual arts interview show, uh, which has gone on hiatus for the last year. Um, wow. I'm doing, uh, uh, I have a DJ show um, and I do a couple other sort of shows battle around, around the week so yeah nice well i thought that i was busy just doing this but uh you you really <laughs> you're, you're totally totally doing it no i'm totally an envy i was going to ask you so what uh, i mean i'm sort of an equipment nerd i mean what equipment do you use when you work with sound design do you use any of the um the daws like uh, ableton live and cubase or anything like that um i haven't ever used ableton um i'm primarily do my work on pro tools um Ableton, from my understanding of it, is more for um, usually for sample, sample based. Yeah, yeah. Sample based and so for performing, so that you can trigger various things while you're actually in a live setting. Mm. Um, so, um, like uh, like Morton Sabotnik uses Ableton Live. A lot of electronic musicians use Ableton Live. Uh, when you see people who are you know, performing music on their laptops, that they're usually using something like Ableton. Mm -hmm. um, Pro Tools is more is less of a live and more of a studio um, program. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of an industry standard sort of program. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, so you basically use that. Yeah. Okay, and and nothing else. Okay, that, well that's cool. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people will have questions about that. Uh, uh, business wise, I mean, when did you, and it's something that, you know, that when Norman and I have talked, you know, Norman, you often talk about when you decided, wow, I am an actor. This is my profession. You know, this is the title that I have. Oh, I had a friend do that for me. <laughs> yeah. I, went to a party. <laughs> I, I did. I went to a party and my friend introduced me to somebody and said, Norman's an actor. And I wanted to correct them and I stopped myself. And I remember walking home from that party thinking, Oh, um, I, I guess I can't get away from this. I, I, I thought of myself as a verb. I act. I act, you know, I do acting. But I didn't think of myself as an actor until, until that happened. Yeah, so when did that happen with you? When did you finally say to yourself, wow, you know, this is not just a little thing that I do on the side. This is my profession. I'm a sound designer. Um... When I started doing a whole bunch of shows, I guess. Um, I mean, I also, I mean, it's, it's interesting because depending on how you know me, um, there's a number of people who know me just as a sound designer and as nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, there's people who know me as uh, you know, a musician and nothing else. There's people who know me as a radio host and nothing else. Um, there's people who know me as a film editor and nothing else. Um, yeah. And there's a few people who, kind of are aware of the multiple hats that I wear. But um, so in a way it's, it's odd for me to think of myself as any one particular, um, it, think of myself as being part of any one particular profession. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that I have different, different outlets. Um, I mean, a lot of it does 
lean heavily on the sonic side. I mean, doing music and doing sound design and doing radio all has a sonic, you know, the sonic is foregrounded in all of that. Um, and I've always been very engaged with my ears and the way I interact with the world. Um, but I like the fact that I'm not actually one profession. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't just fit in just one particular box. Yeah, it's almost like having a secret identity. I mean, I'm you know <laughs> one you know one group of people know me as you know my day job. I'm a paralegal, and then you know another side is like, oh, he's an actor, or oh, wait a minute, no, he's a writer. And so it's uh, I sort of look at it that way, and it sounds like you you do as well. I mean, you know, there are people who are like, oh wow, wait a minute, you're doing a show. I thought you only did the radio stuff, and and now we're you know. We're, Go ahead. I think that's not actually as unusual as people think. I mean, you right. know, Nor Norman is an artist model, but oh, he's a director too. Oh, he's yeah. an actor, or you know. So there's, um, I think everybody contains multitudes. Um, I, I was thinking the same thing, and it's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is you get to kind of see. Yes, you have a connection to the stage. You have a connection to doing theater, but that's not the full scope of what you do. And in fact, in order for you to stay sane and pay your bills, you better be doing a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also, it also lets you, you know, um, sort of you allows the different aspects of yourself to feed the other aspects. Mm -hmm. So doing music, you know, a lot of Karnacki music does make its way into the sound design um, and doing work with, you know, doing scores for dance or doing scores <laughs> for theater makes me think about, structuring musical pieces with a certain kind of dramatic art and a certain kind of sensibility, which might not otherwise be there if I weren't, you know, frequently returning to the idea of a theatrical mindset. Right. Um, and so the, the cross-pollination, I think, is to the benefit of all the aspects of what I do. And it makes every part of it much more full and rich and, um, and that sentence just kind of fell off a cliff. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, beneficial. No, I totally understand. <laughs> exactly, exactly what you're saying. But uh, I was going to ask you, um, now, are you, do you primarily only work with Central Works or do you work with other theater companies? Um, lately, it's been primarily Central Works. Um, I mean, I have worked with, um, I've worked with Shotgun, I've worked with Theater First. Um, I did work with uh, Shakespeare Santa Cruz, uh, Theater Rhino. So I've had, I've sort of, you know, Kind of guest starred in a number of different other companies um but central works was the first company that i um uh was again it was my first professional gig with central works mm. um and is definitely my home um and uh is where i i like to also i mean most theaters i will do a design and then hand off the design and say okay it's yours now run with it central works i like mostly i like to actually be able to run the design myself and right. sort of really integrate myself into the performance of it um uh, yeah, unless uh, you're out of the country with one of your musicals <laughs> right oh, exactly yeah. <laughs> now i was going to say there are a lot of shows where you can no one else but you could run it because no one can you can understand what's going on or how the music fits or how the sound fits so i totally understand yeah the reason why i asked if you uh work with other companies because i wanted to dive i wanted to dive into the uh the business part of it i mean how do you market yourself as a sound designer i mean i'm sure there's some kid out there who may be listening to the a and say well i want to do what greg is doing but i don't know how i can 
sort of do it. I mean, there's the artistic part, but there's also presenting yourself. It's not, I'm not sure if it's something that you can put on a resume or you can do an audition. You sound. Be put it on a resume. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, you totally can. But I mean, how do you audition yourself as a sound designer? Uh, I guess you just have to sort of weed your way into um, a theater company. I mean, People trying to model their career on me um, is not necessarily <laughs> something I would encourage in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, Here's uh, my mixtape for Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a sense, um, I kind of, I've been ridiculously lucky and I just kind of fell into it. Um, I mean, the reason, the reason that I got involved with Flintworks in the first place was that I was an undergrad at Berkeley at the same time that Gary Graves, who is one of the central artistic directors was doing graduate work there. Mm -hmm. um, and I did, um, I was tapped to do video design. I can't even remember exactly how or why I ended up doing video design for this play, but it was a, wow. a, a play called Sarajevo. Uh -huh. um, and so, uh, you know, that was my first uh, working relationship with Gary. And then from that, he asked me to do uh, the operation gig for a central works play called the golden era and then two plays after that i was the sound designer so it just kind of you know just happened i wasn't trying i wasn't trying to do it it just sort of happened um and anything else that i've gotten since that was people coming and seeing my work and saying oh um i'm doing a show in a couple months time i need a sound designer and you know so uh, none of it was me trying to go after gigs or auditioning for gigs, um, which is not a helpful thing to tell people who are trying to find work. Well, it's, it's well, one of the things, if you're talented, then, you know, the work finds you. Mm -hmm. In I this mean, current period, though, um, you've been a part of moving things towards, um, from what I understand with Jen, uh, the preferences for the audio play rather than just a Zoom format for yes. what's going on now. But you've been a part of that, right? Making, In fact, I know you have because I heard the piece on KALW a couple of weeks ago and I was driving and I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I, under, I recognized Kimberly's voice. So I was like, wait a minute, that's Kimberly. And oh, we're talking about bystanders, right? Yeah, and what is going on? I found myself listening and listening and listening, and finally they finished the clip and they were talking to somebody, and then they gave credits at the end, and your name popped up. And I was like, of course, of course Gregory was a part of this. <laughs> well, I, was, I mean, that was something that, um, I mean, the idea to do an audio play was something that Gary also was very uh, interested in. Um, I think all of us kind of separately came up, came to the, conclusion that we didn't like the idea of a zoom play because it seemed like a I don't know just the, the visual component of that kind of took away from being able to really focus on the play in a way yeah. it just it just seemed um it seemed weird to me and I grew up on on radio plays um I mean, ah. you know I was I was listening to there was a there was a company called Mind's Eye uh, for instance, that did a radio version of Lord of the Rings. That was like a 24 hour long show. Damn. Um, that was just riveting. Mm -hmm. um, and um, which included, I think Eric Bowersfeld, who was a local Bay Area actor was, was part of that. 
Mm. Um, and that, there was one time when Eric Barisfeld came to see a Central Works show and I was, it was one of those sort of Star Trek struck moments for me. And I went up and talked to him about it. And he didn't even remember having done that show. <laughs> um, Funny. But um, it's, it's something where because you're taking the visual component away, uh, it allows for a listener's mind to really fill in all of the details. And uh-huh. it allows, you know, someone like myself who is, has a sonic bent to really kind of create the space that things are happening in. So it's something that was kind of foundational to me growing up anyways. And it was something that I could have a lot of fun with. So when Gary said, should we do an audio play? Um, yes, yes, we should definitely do an audio play. <laughs> um, and we've done two of them now at this point. Bystanders, uh, 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 Bystanders was the first one. And then we went back and we've done the Human Outs, um, which was the last play in the space that we did. Um, right. and, we, and we converted that into being an audio play, um, which sort of circles back around to the Dr. Seuss conversation we were having at the beginning as to... Mm-hmm. Um, but it's wild to take this format um, that I think most of us think of, you know, like radio play. That's that's so almost 19th century. And yet we're in this period where there are so many limitations in trying to do Zoom. There's a freedom, I would hope, that comes with doing an audio play. Oh, yeah. Now, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, as you were talking about, I remember NPR had a thing called All Things Considered. Maybe they still do it. Yeah, they but do. They, they did a, a documentary on Jonestown, and I remember just shutting off the lights. And, the, you know, they had the music, they had the narration, they had everything. And uh, it was like, you know, just audioly, I could just close my eyes and just visualize what was going on. And also there's some music that's like that. It take, goes back to an old days where pre-MTV, pre uh, YouTube videos mm-hmm. where you could just let your ears do all the work and just close your eyes and just fantasize and just visualize. And yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, plays can, can easily do that. So, you know, I think that's some a great place. idea. Yeah. Someplace. Some <clears throat> well, I mean, what it does is that it engages your mind in a way that because your mind is having to do the work of creating the space, um, there is that extra engagement and it kind of focuses you in a way that um, videos don't. Um, I mean, I like to think that an audience is more engaged if they're filling in the gaps and doing the work themselves um, and making it a very personal experience where it's, you know, they have their own very specific idea of like, what room are these people in right now? What are the what are the paintings on the wall? What are the framed pictures on the wall? What does the fireplace look like? And if it's their own version of that, it personalizes the story in a much more, um, more, in a much more way. meaningful way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely awesome. And uh, I think Bystanders is still going on or, or have you, uh, is it another, another play going on? I believe both are still, still there. So you can still hear both of them. Nice. Oh, that's cool. That's, I didn't realize when I was sending clips last week, I only had the one. But yeah. it's, I mean, it's the same website. It's still going to Central Works. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely have a link to that. Um, we're getting close to the one hour mark. I want to be respectful of people's time. Um, are, what do you, where do you see yourself in the future? I mean, are you happy? Are you satisfied? Are you, frust- are you a frustrated performer? It sounds like you're very happy with Central Works. I mean, but uh, do you see yourself going? Um, doing anything else in the future? Um, it's 
hard to see anything in the future right now. Because <laughs> 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 it's, it's so, I mean, um, I mean, the last year has been so much of a, of a holding pattern that it's, um, <laughs> um, yeah, just the idea of being able to like go into a movie theater is kind of, um, kind of the be all and end all of <laughs> my, what's in the future right now? Um, are you but, reminding me that um, I just, last week we walked by the Grand Lake Theater and they have put up these posters and they're all about masks. Let me see if I can pull that up. That's funny. Yeah. No, uh, you know, why are you doing that? I've been having these weird dreams about masks. I've been having dreams about either losing my mask and someone being upset or just having, I mean, it's funny how COVID has affected my, uh, I don't know, my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, <definitely. laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, but I mean, go ahead. I mean, I mean, in terms of like what the future is going to hold, I mean, I would just, I kind of the, the baseline for me is I would love to be able to do a, a music show again. Um, I would love to, I just want to get back to being in a, a collaborative setting with people again. Um, you know, as I said uh, earlier on, you know, the, the radio station is doing all pre-recorded. We're all recording our own shows in our own little bunkers right now. Um, and uh, most of the most of the projects that I do are, are at a certain level a collaborative process, um, and trying to do a collaborative process remotely or virtually um, is possible. I mean, the technology is there that it is possible to do it. I can't imagine if COVID had happened, you know, five ten years ago, it would have made so many things impossible. Um, but the idea of being in a room with other people and working on a piece um, is just, that's what I'm craving right now. Um, yeah. You yeah know, on, on, on any project, really. All, all, all of us, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you find that picture, Norman? Yeah, I'm getting it. I'll, I'll get it to you. I've got, but I do have birthday shout outs if, when we're yeah. ready. Yeah. Now I was going to ask you uh, I mean, is uh, Thomas Karnacki, are, are you going to put out another album anytime soon? Or We, we um, just put up a pre order for the next record um, just yesterday. Um, uh, I don't know if you're, if anyone out there is familiar with Bandcamp. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, Bandcamp over the course of, Bandcamp is a website where basically it's, uh, both a streaming and a digital download and kind of a, a, a bazaar where people can sell records, CDs, any kind of merchandise, t-shirts or whatever. Um, and the first Friday of every month over the course of the pandemic, they have been waiving their own fees so that musicians will get a bigger chunk of whatever is bought on Bandcamp over the course of that Friday. Um, and so this past Bandcamp Friday, I uh, put up the pre-order for the next Thomas Karnacki CD. Um, right on. No, we'll, we'll promote that. We'll promote that. Uh, and I've got it written down, Bandcamp. Bandcamp.com. I'm, I'm sure I can find it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a buddy who just put out a CD on Bandcamp. So, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely thrilling about that. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of Bay Area people. There's like, like Josh Pollock has a Bandcamp as well. Does he? Um, he I does. didn't know that. Oh yeah. See, that's, I mean, a lot of people who are in theater um, tend to, uh, for whatever reason, um, <laughs> keep the other parts of their lives quiet, but I've now outed Josh Pollock. So <laughs> take that. <laughs> I'm glad you did. No, he, yeah. we went to college together. Really? And uh, gosh, oh geez. It's a while ago now, 15 years ago. I think we did a show together 
And that was the first time since college. So it was like 15 years, one show, 15 years. Uh, yeah, there's a, he's the, I think sometime in the middle of last year, he put out uh, a volume of work he's done for theater and films, um, mm. which was one of my favorite releases of last year. A really, really fantastic stuff. Um, Josh Pollock, who's an actor and also a musician um, and actually frequently combines those two things together. Wonderfully. Uh, what was that piece? Breathless. That was, oh, that was gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, and he was the, um, I don't know if he was musical director, but he was definitely part of the ensemble, the music ensemble for um, uh, the Black Rider at Shotgun. That was incredible. Yep. And I think, was he in Wojtek as well? I believe. Probably. I Probably. wouldn't doubt. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt. Um, that would be up his alley. Yeah. But he was also in uh, Central Works Red Virgin. Um, where he I didn't know he did a Central Works show. Yep. Sweet. Yep. That's where he and I first um, first encountered each other on a, on a more sort of, on a uh, more significant level. Ah. Uh, it says I cannot share, Ridge. Oh, okay. Don't, don't, don't. share. Uh, yeah. I, I guess we won't worry about it. Don't uh, worry about it. <laughs> we've hit the one hour mark. Uh, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Ooh, wrong screen. Where is it? You want me to go first? Um, yeah, I got it. There it okay. is. Okay. Um, oh, but I'm going to skip some in case I think you have them. Um, so the first one I have then is Ezra Bristow is a young man I met at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts. And I keep trying to get him for theater projects. He is a dancer and he is a um, tech guy. Um, his birthday is coming up this week. That's an amazing combination. First time I did radio golf, just a reading, unfortunately. But the first time I did it, Ben Tucker was one of the actors in that. Um, my father's birthday is coming up this week. Don't know what I'm going to do about that. It's COVID. COVID gives you this excuse. You don't have to show up for anything. Um, and then another guy that I went to high school with, Stan Lawson. Uh, his birthday is coming up this week. He was a part of the theater department. Uh, Kathleen Antonia, Dr. Kathleen Antonia. I didn't know she was a doctor until that whole thing came up about Jill Biden. And then everybody put their titles out. And I was like, wow, she's an amazing, wonderful actress. And um, we had her on. Educator. Yeah. No, yeah. So uh, Tar, isn't her last name Tar, or is it just Kathleen Antonio? Um, it depends on if she's putting herself out there as a uh, theater artist or or a doctor, right? Because um, I guess she's still keeping Antonia as her stage name. Uh, Victoria Miha Diaye is um, actress that I got to work with. I love it when somebody is both beautiful and comic. She is both. Um, Rico Anderson, who we've had on the A. Hey. Um, yeah, Rico. Rico um, is uh, somebody I went to high, high school, went to college with, and um, he was on the show. He was up visiting because he's oh, a Bay Area boy. Oh, Rico Anderson, not Rika Anderson. No, not Rika. No, Rika's birthday, uh, I think, is coming up soon, though. Their birthdays are not far apart. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Clairvaux, um, amazing Bay Area playwright. Uh, Kelly Crump, I, I have had very few stage kisses. Kelly Clump was one of them. We got to do, a, it was a staged reading of uh, the play Scapegoat, which as it developed to a full production, I got to direct, but I was the lead in it for the uh, reading and Kelly was my, my love interest. Amazing, wonderful actress. She was doing box office at the Magic Theater, so she was not acting very much because she couldn't commit to anything that conflicted with her box office duties. It was horrible, but she got to do a reading and that was great. 
And I think you probably have the last one I've got, so I'll turn it over to you. All righty. Uh, Eko Yamamoto, her birthday is uh, will be tomorrow. Yep, that's uh, fantastic Japanese uh, actress. And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, she was uh, she participated in my reading. Um, it was one of the earlier readings of Judicial Process, but uh, she's fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, also, uh, another Ellingtonite. Uh, there are two Ellingtonite friends of mine who are having showing, sharing their birthdays. Derek DeJour. I have no idea what he's doing these days, but uh-huh. Derek, uh, happy birthday to you. Don Hardwick, we had him on hey, the a long, long time. Don Hardwick, oh uh, yeah, uh, he heads up. He is helping. I forget um, the playwright center for San Francisco. I know that um, Charlie Larigo has passed away, so Don, right. I'm sure a bunch of others are now heading up, taking on the realm of uh, um, handling the playwright center. So his birthday is um, will be on the ninth. You mentioned Rico Anderson, also. Don Carter. <laughs> okay, Don Carter, another Ellingtonite of mine, a friend of mine who also um, graduated with me, along with Jamal Brown, uh, two Ellingtonites. Also, March 11th, Marty Pistone. Marty Pistone is a fight coordinator, and I worked with him. Uh, we worked on a show for Off Broadway West. So his birthday is on March 11th. And I think the last one that I have, no, I have two others. Bert Van Alsberg. Yeah, there's me. Hey. <laughs> Bert is a, uh, he is a, um, a technical, he's a, he's a set builder. He's a stage manager. I think he's an actor as well. I've worked him in on a bunch of projects and he's helped me get a bunch of jobs. And try as I might, I can't get my beard anywhere near. Bert's <laughs> beard is unique. I know. I've seen a couple of the a couple of early pictures that Bert has posted where um, I don't know he's he is cut short, but that go, that goes like you know back 20, 30, 40 <laughs> years or whatever. But in any case, yeah, his birthday is on March the twelfth. I've worked with them on off Broadway West stuff, and he's got me a job at the um, the um, the French Festival. Um, hmm. And the last one is Ellen Marie Marsh. She is now in New York. I think she wrote Kinky Boots, but she got her start in the Bay Area. I'm not sure what show I work with her, but um, her birthday will be on the 12th. And those are the birthdays that I have. Shows. Um, I just uh, sending. It says it's sending. There, I sent it to you. Those are the links uh, for the shows I have. I've got. Um, what do I have? I've got a. a Monday Night Playground coming up on the 15th, so a week from Monday. Um, I'm directing a piece called The Talk Back, and this will be the first anybody knows about it, but I think, I hope I've got Jeannie Baroga and um, Rena Beth Epistol as my, um, as a mother and daughter in this piece, I'm, I'm hoping. I've, I've, that's who I requested. I'm hoping that happens. Uh, so that'll be a week from Monday. Um, I will be performing with shots. I will be doing a Robert Estes monologue on the 24th with uh, Shots SF. And I haven't heard yet because the writers just got a prompt a couple of days ago. Um, Robert Estes is writing it or directing it? What's that? Is he writing or directing, Robert? Robert wrote this. And he says he's, he's not technically directing me, but he is giving me notes, which I appreciate. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I'll be doing a monologue for that. And then I'm part of their, uh, their cadre of actors. So hopefully I will also be in another piece there. Um, binding ties extended. This is the Oakland theater project. It extended to uh, the seventh is the last day. As far as I know. 
And um, you can, I sent you the link, but it's Oakland Theater Project. Um, it's this amazing thing at the 16th Street Station. There are not very many places in the country that had two-story railroad stations. Trains could actually go up to a second level in this space. Um, this was amazing. And that's, the structure still stands there's a whole bunch of people battling to try and do something with it. And so Oakland Theater Project is doing this show with, I guess, one performer and projections and sound. So we're going to go see it. Me and Mara are going to go see it tomorrow night. Uh, and that, that's it. Those are the shows I have. Yeah. Uh, the only other show that I have, you mentioned a bunch. I'm looking at my screen here. The Stop by uh, Kimberly Ridgeway, who is on a tear. I mean, oh. you know, you think about COVID-19 just stopping work. She is like, she's like, listen, I'm not going to let no <laughs> disease stop me. She's right. acting, she's directing, she's hosting. In any case, um, she wrote a she's piece called The Stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's wrote, she's wrote a piece called The Stop and the Fantasy Theater Factory. Uh, they've been running it. Uh, since February the 19th, it ends March the 18th, and we've been promoting it, but I just wanted to talk about that. Yes. Also, you mentioned the talkback. Linda Amayo Hassan wrote that, and of course, yes. she, she wrote Cheer Story of a Dreamer. We've had her on. She was a, a teacher at Chippewa College, so I wanted to give praise to her. And yeah, so that's it. And you talk about binding ties, and you talk about playground. So cool. I agree. Oh, Do you have any shows you want to promote? Well, just talking about Kimberly Ridgeway, um, we might as well go for the full Kimberly Ridgeway Love Fest. Um, both Central Works shows that are currently up, uh, yeah. uh, Audio Blaze, have Kimberly Ridgeway in them, yeah. um, who is uh, an absolute delight. Um, he is. And, uh, and, and again, if you are want to go sifting through the archives of the A, there's also a really nice Kimberly Ridgeway conversation. Uh, yep, episode one, 155, episode 155. <laughs> <laughs> But she's in. So what is the I don't have written down the other show that she's in. I know she's in Bystanders. Um, so Bystanders is one. And then The Human Ounce uh, by Nicole Perizzo is the other show. Um, Got which it. Is, uh, which was done in, uh, in the Berkeley City Club. And actually, I mean, was COVID basically cut short the run of The Human right. Ounce, um, which was actually kind of a lot of fun to sound design because uh, I got into the central workspace in order to record myself running around and uh, carrying ladders here and there because those are the kinds of sounds that needed we needed to recreate those sounds for the audio version so yeah. uh, there's a lot of my footsteps uh, that you'll hear in, that's fun in the human house i see th those are the intricate particulars that you you get when you get when you hear greg sharpen's sound you know it's it's always very very precise and the and the doors opening and closing in the audio version of the human house are the actual doors at center workspace those are the City Club's doors. Yeah, so. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, so there's that, um, and also there's the there's the Thomas Carnacki Bandcamp page, which is just Thomas Carnacki C A R N A C K I dot Bandcamp dot com, um, and there's a whole hey. host of stuff there. Cool, and I've got that written down. Um, Carnacki, uh, I'm sorry, spell that again. K A R N A C A R C A R N A C K I. N-A-C-K-I. Perfect. And I'll have a link so people don't need to, you know, spell it out. People just click onto it. And... It's like, where's the pen? Where's the pen? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Greg, did you have a good time? I, this was great. I could go on for another hour. Probably. <laughs> this, was, this, was, this was so much fun. 
No, this is cool. And uh, thank you so much for, you know, Norman and I were talking, we were like, we need to have some tech guys. We have folks who are on stage all the time, but what about the folks who sort of create the uh, the theater and you don't see them and you don't know who they are. And uh, you are you are really one of the uh, the great legends of- Well, uh, it was funny because you we've had that conversation, but when you said, I said, so who who's next? Who are we having? You said, Greg Sharp, no, no. Boom. Don't need, to, don't need to say anything else. Now that this is fantastic and it's a great conversation. All right. So folks, you may be watching this on uh, YouTube. So as the young folks say, like, and subscribe, I don't know if it's down there or over there, there, there. wherever it is. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> like subscribe, put a thumbs up, let us know what you like, what you don't like about uh, the A, and uh, we will, you know, act accordingly. Uh, you may be listening. Or not. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Just click on, click on cats, whatever you want to listen to. Uh, if you're listening to this on the traditional sound on, um, on the, on uh, audio. Audio, audio, yes, we're on all, uh, podcast apps that are purple podcast app. If you have an iPhone, if you're on, um, an Android, you may uh, listen to us on soundcloud.com or just click on that soundcloud app and you'll find us. We're also on Spotify. So there are plenty of ways to find the, A. you'll find us. The, A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, uh, Instagram. I don't say Snapchat anymore because I don't even use it. Uh, I'm at uh, Red Space Clay. I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Greg, are you on social media? Is there a place where people can directly contact you? Um, there's a Thomas Karnacki Facebook page. Um, so that's probably the best way to, to, to get in touch with me. Um, I uh, have... I think I had to make a Twitter account somewhere in the distant past, but I have never actually sent one single tweet and probably right. can't even remember how the, what the <laughs> login is. So um, I, I did that for three years. I, I had Twitter and didn't do anything. And then three years later, I was like, what the hell is my, what, what is my password? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so no Instagram, no Twitter, no TikTok. No, I'm, yeah. uh, uh, but, I'm but strangely logical. But you're all, you are on Facebook, so. I am on Facebook, yeah. Yes. So Which, as my niece says, is for old people. <laughs> I know. We've gotten there, man. So, uh, <laughs> But if you're looking for an amazing sound designer, um, you can't go wrong with uh, Greg Sharpen. And, and please check out the Thomas Karnacki um, page on Bootcamp, and we'll have the link there. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find, find a better sign-off. Sign and we are out.